heard the story. Uh, it was on a, happened on a Father's Day, and the uh, family was driving home after church, and little Johnny was in the back seat, and he was especially quiet. And by halfway home, John, they could hear Johnny from the back seat start to sniffle. And by the time they pulled in the driveway, Johnny was just bawling. He was crying. And, 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 and Mom said, Johnny, what's wrong? And he just kept crying. And Dad said, Johnny, what's wrong? And he just kept crying. crying. And finally, the car stopped. And Dad turned around and said, Johnny, what's wrong? And Johnny, through tears, said, Dad, the pastor today said that he wanted boys and girls to live in a home with Christian parents. But I want to stay with you. So dads, make sure we're having and setting the example of Christian homes so that little Johnny and little Jane will not feel like that the pastor is telling them to move out of their house. So we need to, to be godly dads. I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you know your TV dads? Do you know your TV dads? I see a couple of heads shaking. Do you know your TV dads? I want to say just a word about some, some TV fathers. And uh, uh, when we see fathers portrayed on television... A couple of things come to mind. One is some of these fathers are portrayed as positive role models. Some fathers on TV, their character is portrayed as a negative role model. Some fathers on TV are portrayed very, very stereotypically and uh, what you might think of as, as a goofball father sometimes. Uh, some are just fantasy. Where in the world did they get that kind of a father to portray on TV. Fathers on TV are sometimes portrayed as role models to follow, and if you watch carefully, there are some fathers on TV that are portrayed as role models to avoid. You don't want to be a father like that. But each television father that you and I see on programs, each one can teach us something about fathering. Each time you see a father portrayed each of those episodes, each of those characters can teach you and I dads something about fathering. It might be for the better. It might be for the worse. Now, I'm going to put some TV dads on the screen. And when you see the picture, I want you to immediately say the character that is being shown from a television show. You ready? Let's put the first one up on, t on the screen. Who is that? Jed Clampett from what TV show? The Beverly Hillbillies, a famous... TV dad. Here's the second one. Put the next one up there. Who is this? Mike Brady from what TV show? Brady Bunch. Okay, all right. Now, what's the next one? Put the next one up there. All right, now, who is that? TV name. TV dad. Urkel. Yeah, Urkel. Yeah, did I do that? Okay. And this is not Urkel's dad, by the way. His name is Carl Winslow from the TV show Family Matters, okay? All right. The next one is George Jefferson from the TV show The Jeffersons, okay? All right. The next one is TV name. TV show name. Tim the Toolman Taylor from the TV show what? Home Improvement. Okay, all right, good. All right, the next one is, what's his name on TV? We're getting old, aren't we? We can't remember. We know who it is, but we just can't remember his name. Yeah, y'all, all those things. What was his TV name? Danny Tanner from the TV show Full House. Okay, good. All right, the next one is our all-time favorite. Archie Bunker from All in the Family. Okay, all right, good, good. All right, the next one is? Oh, Howard Cunningham from Happy Days. All right, let's go back down memory lane for the next one. That is not Andy Griffith, Andy from the Andrew Griffith Show. Why did they name him differently? On, if the TV show has his name, why is his character something different on the show? I don't know. Anyway, Andy Griffith Show. And last is right, on the TV show, what was his name? The Cosby Show, but his name on TV was Cliff Huxtable. And remember what I said earlier about TV fathers 
as they're portrayed. Some are role models to emulate and to follow. Some are role models to avoid. There are some TV fathers that, uh, that in real life, their, their, their personality and character mirrors how they're portrayed on TV. It's the same person. There are others that their, their, their TV persona is completely different than how they act in their own private life. And much like fathers, if we're not careful, dads, our kids can see us and they can see us act one way in public where everybody can see us and act another way when nobody else is around. And when they see that hypocrisy, that's not a good thing for our kids to see. They need to see what? That we're always the same and that we're always a good and godly dad. So, so famous TV fathers leads us into the topic of the day, and that is uh, fatherhood, faith in the real world. If we want to, to live in the real world of, of, of our circumstances, and we want to have the faith to carry us through, and we want to be the dads and the fathers God has called us to be, then we need something beyond just a TV dad as an image and as an example. We need something more. And so today we're going to look at, continue to look at, the life of David in the Old Testament. As we look at the life of David, we're going to see that David can teach us something about fatherhood. And the something is going to be on one hand, there's a role model here we can follow. There's an, on the other hand, is a role model that we need to avoid all within the character of David there in the Old Testament. So though David was a man after God's own heart, you remember that, that Bible verse in the Old and New Testament, although he was a man after God's own heart, he was still a man. He was still a man, which means he had lots of flaws and could not help any of them. Amen, ladies? All right, would you stand with me this morning? Would you stand with me? We're going to share together one Bible verse, and it's from the New Testament, but it mirrors exactly what the Scriptures teach uh, about fatherhood and about, uh, about even the life of David. And we find the verse in Ephesians chapter 6, in verse number 4, in the New Testament. You see the words on the screen. I'd like us all to read that Bible verse together. Would you read it with me? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, all of us who are dads know the mistakes that we make. And we pray that somehow our wives and our mothers and our children can forgive us. But I also pray, Lord, that as dads and fathers, we would do our best with your power to be the men and the dads you've called us to be. And as we deal with our children... Some of us, Lord, have adult children, and we've raised them and sent them out. Others of us, Lord, have young children, and we still have those children in our home. For others, Lord, we are future fathers, and there's going to be additional children come into our home in the days and years to come. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see the, the model, the example of David, to recognize where we can follow his example and where we need to turn and run from his example. And would you help us to better see you? and to serve and follow after you, that when our family members see us, they can see the difference that Jesus makes to all who trust in him, as we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, please be seated. So David, as father. Like some fathers, David's parenting weaknesses, and we'll point those out, David's parenting weaknesses had an impact on his immediate family that rippled out across the generations. What we find in life, and I've discovered, as I've gotten older, I've discovered something about fatherhood and really parenthood, but today's Father's Day. I've discovered this, that the example of my dad before me has impacted my life greatly. And I can see that impact going even down through me to my kids. I'm reminded that, that I have received an example of fatherhood, but I'm also reminded that I'm giving an example of fatherhood. And something else I've discovered, and that is that whatever example I've received is not necessarily the example that I pass on. If I have received a wonderful example of a father by my father who's gone before me, I don't necessarily pass that on to my kids. I can choose to be a bad father. And just because I had a bad father example before me doesn't mean that I have to pass that on to my kids. I can determine with God's grace that I'm going to pass on good and godly characteristics to my own children. We see that in the life of David. We see that in all of our lives. And we know that with God's help, we can be dads to fathers 
that God has called us to be. Now, it seems like, as far as David is concerned, it seems like that David had great success in having children, but not a whole lot of success in raising children. He was far more successful at having them. You don't turn there in your Bibles, but in 1 Chronicles chapter 3, 1 Chronicles chapter 3, the first nine verses there, it lists some of David's children. And it lists 19 sons by name. Did you hear that? 19 sons were listed by name, and seven wives are listed by name there in 1 Chronicles chapter 3. And then when you get down to verse number 9, as if 19 named sons are not enough and seven named wives are not enough, verse 9 of 1 Chronicles 3 says this, All these were David's sons, besides the sons of his concubines. So he had all these 19 sons and seven wives, and then he had concubines or other mistresses, if you will, and they had children by David. They didn't name them in the Bible, but they were in addition to the 19. And, and it says this too, and Tamar was their sister. Tamar, the only girl listed among the children of David. So David, it seems like, was really good at having kids. He knew how everything worked, and he had a, a, a large number of children. But his parenting skills, his skills as a dad, as a father, revealed to us and set an example for us of what I'm going to call the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I, what we have learned from Scripture in, in 1 Corinthians, I mentioned this a couple of times early in the series, is that in 1 Corinthians it says that all these things, which refers to the Old Testament, these things have happened for us as an example and as instruction so that we don't have to make the same mistakes others made and we can follow the example of those who've done it right. That, don't, don't, wouldn't you much rather learn from the mistakes of others than have to go through it yourself? And wouldn't you much rather find a good example to follow? So, so David fits that bill. Let's talk just for a couple of moments about the good, because there, there, there are lots of good qualities about David. We're going we're gonna to get on him here in a few minutes, but let's start out with a couple of good qualities that David exhibited as a father. And uh, the first we're going to look at is in Proverbs chapter 4. Now, many of the Proverbs were written by Solomon, the son of David. Solomon was born to David's wife. What was her name? Bathsheba was the mother of Solomon, and, uh, uh, and, and David was about the age of 50 when Solomon was born. And so Solomon uh, wrote many of what we have uh, in the book of Proverbs. He wrote many of those. And among the Proverbs that Solomon wrote are Proverbs chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, which tell us some things about his relationship with his father, which is David, and here we find six commands, and I'll point those out as we read through this. Proverbs chapter 4, starting in verse number 3. Solomon says, When I was a son with my father, when I was just a young boy, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother. My mother, I was the apple of my mother's eye. And then he says this, He, that's my dad, this is David, He taught me and he said to me, six things real quickly, you can, you can look in your Bible and see, Six things. One, he said, let your heart hold fast my words. Listen and, and pay attention to what I'm saying. Secondly, he said, keep my commandments. Obey and listen. Listen to what I tell you and do what I say. Listen, uh, keep my commandments and live. Thirdly, verse 5, he says, get wisdom. Get some wisdom. When you find wisdom... Hold on to it. You remember years later when Solomon becomes the king, in a dream, God says, what do you want? And Solomon asked for what? He asked for wisdom. His dad started early telling Solomon, ask and get wisdom. The fourth uh, command he gives, verse number five, get insight. Don't just look at things on the surface, but gain insight into what's happening. Uh, the fifth thing, the first, fifth command, verse five, do not forget. Don't let something go in one ear and out the other. You ever had that happen to you? No, you never had that happen to you. You've known people. Something just, you, you tell them something, and it goes in one ear and straight out the other ear. He says, don't do that. Don't forget. And then number six, do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Even when I'm not around, David is saying, follow what I'm giving you. That's some good advice for a son, isn't it? 
a father telling his son that and bringing his son up. And when his son was a man, when Solomon had grown up, he remembered these words that his father had taught him about wisdom. And so we can say a good check mark for David and a good example for us in the good category is to teach our children about wisdom. Another good thing is to teach our children instruction, to give our kids good and godly instruction. If, if you look over, you don't have to turn there, but in 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, David now is dealing with Solomon, not at the beginning of Solomon's life, but at the end of David's life. And David has learned and pass, is now passing on to Solomon that true strength, true strength is connected to your relationship with God. It's not the position that you hold. It's not the power of your name. It is in your connection to God. 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1, When David's time to die drew near, he's designated Solomon's going to be the king after me. David now knows he's about to die. And so he commanded Solomon his son. From what we know in the scripture, David at this point is about 70 years old, and Solomon is about 20 when he becomes the king. So 70-year-old David, about to die, calls Solomon, the new king, in, and he, uh, he, he, he says to him uh, three instructions. Look at verse number two. Be on the screen there. He said, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Instruction number one, be strong. There will be times when you are challenged. There will be times when you, when you will be attacked. There will be times when you will be threatened. There will be times when people will come against you. There will be times when you're tempted. And he says this to him, be strong. Be strong. Strong. Isn't that good advice for, for a father to give his son? Be strong. Notice the second command, the second instruction there in verse number two. Show yourself a man. Be a man. You've, uh, uh, I, don't know, I don't know how your dad was to you, but my dad to me growing up was, men don't cry, step up, hold your chin up, suck it up, suck it in, and keep going. That's what David is, is telling his son. Show yourself to be a man. Don't be weak. And he says, thirdly, Keep the charge of the Lord your God. Keep the charge. Keep the instruction. Keep the call. Keep the, the position that you have. God has put you in a very special position. Make sure that you are keeping and doing and following and obeying what God has called you to do. And like Solomon, you and I, maybe you say, well, how can I do that? God has called me and set me apart. God has, given, has put me here as a father or as a mother, as a, as a student, as a worker at my job, as a, as a husband or wife. Whatever your position is, God has put you there to represent him. And you may be saying, like Solomon probably, how in the world can I live up to what God has called me to do? And here we find three ways, or two ways, I should say. First of all, verse 3, walk in his ways. You and I will fulfill the call and the charge of God when we determine that we're going to follow Him and walk in His ways. Our lifestyle is going to match His Word. Our, our character is going to be based on the Scripture. Our demeanor and our attitude, our response to those that come against us is going to be wrapped up in the teaching of God's Word. So we're going to walk in God's ways. There, there's going to be a way that seems right, but it's not going to be God's way. In fact, the Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man. And so obviously God knows women, y'all are okay, but for men, we have this problem. There's going to be a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it is what? Say it. The end is death or destruction. And so you need to make sure Solomon, we need to make sure dads, all of us as believers and followers of Christ, that we're walking in the way of the Lord even when it goes against our natural bent. Even when it's difficult, even when it costs us something, we still need to walk in His ways. And notice the second way that we uh, carry out the charge of the Lord is keeping His, notice this, keeping His statutes, His commandments, His rules, and His testimonies. Making sure that we're being obedient to what we know. There are some things that we don't have to ask about that we know this is God's will. For example, do not steal. We don't have to pray, Lord, shall I steal this or not? We know it's never God's will to steal. 
But there are other circumstances that we'll find ourselves in that, that the Bible is not so cut and dry. You'll be, you'll be tempted in a certain circumstance. Do I, do I go this way or do I go that way? Do I follow this advice? Do I follow that advice? Both of it seems like godly advice, but I can't do both. And so we need the discernment. So we walk in His ways and we keep His statutes and commands and rules and His testimonies. And notice in verse 3 and in verse 4, there are two results that are promised to Solomon, just like dads and all of us, there are two results promised to us. When we will be strong, show ourselves to be men of God, and keep the charge of God, there are two things that, that we can count on. One is, verse 3, that you may prosper. You see that on, on the screen up there. That you may prosper. That it may go well with you. If God has called you to do something and he has equipped you to do it, and you have been faithful to carry it out, then you will prosper. Now, it doesn't mean necessarily that you'll prosper in worldly wealth or even in worldly health. But it does mean that you will prosper in the purposes of God, which is the greatest way we can ever prosper. And the second result is found in verse 4, that the Lord may establish his word. In this case, he's talking about the descendants of David being on the throne but in our circumstances, it's this, that the Lord may establish His Word, His purpose, His plan in your life and in my life with our kids, with our job, with our money, with our testimony, in our church, through our church, in our community, to reach the world with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the results. So that, that's the instruction. That's the, the good that, that we see. David uh, imparts to Solomon this wisdom and instruction, and he says, it's going to go well with you, and you will prosper, and God's going to have his way. Isn't that great advice? Isn't that great advice? Amen. Now, if we could stop there, we, we could just pat David on the back and say, what a great job you, were, you did as a father. What a great dad you were. And we can have a great example to follow. But what we learn is that while David evidently did well with Solomon in these regards, early in Solomon's life, and then again, just before Solomon became king, just as David was dying, with the sons he had previously in his younger years, uh, not so much. It didn't go so well. And here's where, here's where we see now the bad and the ugly of David as a father. Let me point out a, a couple of issues. In fact, four issues of parenting that are on display in the life of David as a father. The, the first uh, issue of parenting that we see is the example that he set. David set an example, and it, and it reminds us, you know, it's not just David that sets an example, but, but all of us who are dads, we set an example for those in our family every single day. We either set a good and godly example, or we set a negative example. We either set an example that says, I'm going to trust and follow after God, or we might set an example that says, I'm going to trust and follow my own instincts and do the best I can. We each set an example of some kind. Two areas that David set example in. One is in the area of marriage. I, I shared with you a minute ago from 1 Chronicles chapter 3. David had seven named wives and all these other concubines, this, this harem of other women. And, uh, uh, and so he had all these uh, examples that he set for his children that came from these, these marriages to these women. And we see that, that the children that were produced, there were rivalries, there were jealousies, there was sin back and forth committed from one child against another that we'll talk about in just a few moments. But David set a bad and even an ugly example in marriage. And then let's look at the example he set of morality. This concerns marriage, but concerning morality. Here's a man. <laughs> Here's a man had seven wives and all these concubines. And it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. One day, David's out walking on the roof, and he sees a beautiful young woman. And you know the story, Bathsheba. We'll talk about it more in a few weeks. And he has relations with a woman who's not his wife. In fact, she's the only wife of one of his soldiers out fighting a battle. And he has an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. And his kids all knew it. His kids all saw it. His kids all knew what was going on. Because even when he tried to hide it by killing her husband or having her husband killed, it turned out that he was still exposed by the prophet. And as a result of David's example that he set, not just in these areas but in other areas as well, as an example of the, of, of the, of the, uh, as a result of the example he set, 
Three of his first four sons wound up dead. Let's talk about those three sons for a quick moment. The second issue of parenting that we see in David's life is the issue of dis discipline. Discipline. Now, as dads, we know a couple of things about discipline. There are dads that can be too soft on discipline because they never discipline their children in any way whatsoever. And then there are dads that can be too harsh with their children. They never take their thumb off of their kids. Both of those are extremes that don't jive with the biblical instruction for dads. Bring your children up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. Don't provoke them to anger. If you want to provoke your children to anger, dads, there's two extremes you can follow. One is do nothing and let them have their own way. And the other is keep your thumb on them so tight that you never let them up. Both of those ways are guaranteed to provoke your children to anger. So David, as an example and an issue of discipline, uh, we're going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 13 and David's son named Amnon. Amnon, one of the, older, the oldest uh, son of David. The story goes in 2 Samuel 13 that Amnon wound up raping his sister, his half-sister. You remember her name? The only sister mentioned, Tamar. Amnon wound up raping his half-sister, Tamar. Now, what does a father do when this happens? Dad, would you be mad about that? Would you be upset about that? Verse 21 of 2 Samuel 13. When King David heard of these things, he was very angry. And he let people know he was very angry. And he did nothing. Can you imagine that? This happens in your family. And as a father, you do nothing about it. It's known that this has happened. And you do nothing about it. He was furious, but he did nothing towards Amnon, his own son, who committed a sexual offense against his own daughter. He did nothing. One commentator said this, Amnon was lustful, devious, immature, and violent. An undisciplined child had grown into an evil man. Here's, here's a man, David, and from what we can tell in his relationship with Amnon, there was no discipline whatsoever, and Amnon had this thought. He can get and do whatever he wanted to do, and und, undisciplined children can have that mentality, that entitlement mentality that they can do whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it. Being married to a school teacher, I can tell you there are kids like that in our public schools today. None of your kids were like that. I know that. But there are children in the classrooms of our public schools and I'm sure our private schools that have this mentality that because they've not been disciplined in their home, they bring it to school with the thought, you can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me what to do. And so, so here we see you don't have to be the child of a king to be undisciplined. You can be anybody's kid and be undisciplined. And that was the result of Amnon. So as parents, we have to make sure we're not too soft and that we're not too harsh, but that we discipline appropriate to the Word of God and the Scriptures. I want you to notice a, a, a third issue of parenting that we see on display with David, and that is rebellion, the issue of rebellion. Now, I'm going to tell you something about rebellion. Every child rebels at some time. Every child rebels at some level. Now, I know what you're thinking. Your little angel, when they were growing up, never rebelled in any way whatsoever. But listen, the, the seeds of rebellion are planted when the child cries out unmercifully uh, uh, for, for, for a diaper change, for something to drink, for time to eat. When your child at 3 o'clock in the morning, they don't care if you're sleeping. They want what they want now. And if you're like, I am, I gave it to him, right? I told mama, get up and go. No, I didn't say that. Didn't say that. <laughs> but a small taste of rebellion. And we work with our children and discipline them in loving ways so that their attitude is not one of rebellion as they grow up. But if we don't discipline our children, those rebellious Cute little things they do when they're two and three and four years old can become devious things they do when they're seven, eight, nine years old, can become illegal things they do when they're 14, 15, 16 year old, can become tragic things that happen to them when they're in their 20s, 30s, or even older. Rebellion. Absalom is the example of rebellion. Still in the same chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 13. Now, 
Absalom was also David's son, but he was a different mother than Amnon. So he and Amnon were half-brothers. They both had the same father, but they had different mothers. But the thing about this situation is Amnon had raped his half-sister who? Tamar. Guess who Tamar's whole brother was? Absalom. Guess who was upset that dad did nothing about Amnon? Absalom. And because David did nothing, Absalom sat by and he said, i got to get even. I can't let someone defile my sister like this and get away with it and do nothing, even if it's my own half-brother. I can't let this go. You know how long he waited before he did something about it? Two years. Two years. David had done nothing, had said nothing, except he had gotten angry, and that was it. Two years later, Absalom plotted revenge and had his brother Amnon killed. He took care of it. But instead of confronting Absalom, now remember David had not confronted Amnon, now he doesn't confront Absalom, and he sends Absalom away. When Absalom runs away to hide somewhere, David lets him go, and then when he lets him come back into the country, he didn't even let him come into his presence, he didn't even see him, he didn't talk to him for years. And when David finally allowed Absalom to come and see him, Absalom at that point was bitter, and he was angry, and he was rebellious. And he went out and he said, I'm going to be the king and I'm going to take the throne from my father who did this terrible thing when my sister was raped and who exiled me and kept me away from him for all these. I will be king. And so he set himself up and led a rebellion against his own father, David. And in that rebellion, Absalom, the son of David, was killed. 2 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 33. We see David's response to Absalom being killed. He cries out. You've heard this verse, no doubt, before. David cries out, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would that I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. He grieved greatly because his son, even though he led a rebellion, had been killed in the battle, even after David had said, Don't kill him, but he was killed anyway. I can't help but think, that David might not have been crying out, Oh, Absalom, my son, I wish I'd died instead of you. I, I, I kind of think that David would not be saying that had he gone back in time and spent a little more time with his sons. Spent a little more time molding them and shaping them. A little more time in the area of discipline. A little more time in the area of shaping them and molding them to follow after the things of God. Later on with Solomon, David did that. But with Absalom and with Amnon, evidently that was not so. And David handled it very poorly. And so his, he, he now has lost two sons and he has great regret. And it, but it's too little too late. And I know this to be true. I've seen it in my family. I've seen it in some of your families. I've seen it with people that I know. You hear about it and see it on the news. There are books that are written about it. How many times, dads, do we look back and we regret that we did not do this and we did not do that and the consequences were bad and, and we feel like it's somehow our responsibility and we just blew it. But guys, what do we do? What do we do in that situation? You can't go back and change history. But I'm going to tell you something. You can start right where you are. And whatever it is you might can do, you need to do. We'll talk about that more in just a few moments. Well, the, the fourth issue of parenting we see on display, not only is there the example that's set, the discipline or lack of discipline, the rebellion that is fostered in our children, but then now we have the area, fourthly, of favoritism. Favoritism. Now, I've got two children, a son and a daughter, and uh, of them I do have a favorite. And they know it. I'm very clear about it. My daughter, Ray... She's my favorite daughter. <laughs> my son, Ben, guess what? He's my favorite son. It works out pretty well. I, 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 can, I can get away with that. But, you know, unfortunately in so many families, there is a favoritism that's shown, and no doubt there may be one that, that is a favorite, but when it, that, that, that son or daughter is doted on and given privileges to the, to the, uh, to the detriment of the others, it fosters such a spirit of, of, of jealousy and rivalry among the kids. In 1 Kings chapter 1, now we see David is old. David is old, and now his son, one of the older sons, Adonijah, and he was spoiled, he was disobedient, and he was entitled. Adonijah, verse 5. Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, one of the seven wives of David, he exalted himself. I love this. He exalted himself. And, and he said, 
I'll be king. Notice what it says, uh, the, the, the setting here, David is old. David is going to die soon, and everybody's wondering, well, who's going to be king? Is this one going to be king, or is that one going to be king? And Adonijah just says, I'm going to be the king. Nobody else besides me. In verse 5, he prepared himself. He exalted himself, and he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him, shouting out, Adonijah is the king. Verse number 6 tells us, about David and something about favoritism. His father, David, had never at any time displeased him. What? Never at any time had the father done anything to make the son unhappy. At no time did the father ever correct the son and say these Two letters, one word that every father needs to know how to say to their child. And here's the word, no. Can I get an amen this morning? <laughs> every father needs to know how to say no to their children. Not just to say it, not to be mean, not to be critical, not to be harsh, but to teach our children right from wrong. Yes, you can do this. No, you can't do that. Yes, you can have this. No, you can't have that. And to teach our children when we say no, that we mean no, and that is a harsh line that, that, that we are drawing so that we can teach and mold and shape our children not to be entitled, not to have this, this, this air of elitism about them, not to have this sense that they're the favorite, not to have this sense that they can do whatever they want to and they can take it wherever they want to go. But Adonijah had never at any point from his father been displeased by asking. Father never asked him, why'd you do that? Why did you do that? My son and my daughter got so tired of me saying to them when they were young, now why did you do that? You saw the crayon and you thought it would be a good idea to draw a picture on the wall. Now why did you do that? Can I get a witness this morning? My kids are the only ones? Pam, my wife Pam tells the story of her son Jay, who at one point thought it would be a great idea to draw a picture on the side of his grandparents' car with a rock. Yeah. Can you, you think somebody went up to, to Jay and said, now why did you do that? Let's have a little talk about that. That had never happened to Adonis. Nobody had ever said no to him. And, and, and I love this part, the very last part of verse 6. He was also, in addition to never being told no, he was also very, a very handsome man. What's that got to do with anything? That he was very handsome. He was good looking. Nobody had ever told him no. And he thought he could get away with anything. Well, because he proclaimed himself king, and guess what? He was not the one that was going to be king. Solomon was going to be king. So because Adonijah who had never been told no, made the assumption, I can just get 50 guys to run around behind me and I'll proclaim myself king because I've never been told no. And by the way, I'm a very handsome man, right? <laughs> he forced David to go ahead before he was ready and proclaim Solomon to be the king and it set up this rivalry back and forth that guess what led to Adonijah being killed? Well, a commentator said it this way. The impatient, self-serving attitudes and actions of a severe father, one who is harsh, can cause the child to become disheartened. You can, just, you can just take the life and the spirit right out of your child by being so harsh on them. But, the commentator says, indulgent, negligent fathers who don't discipline biblically may actually provoke their children to anger and resentment through their lack of loving correction. The key there is correction, and the key to correction is loving, and the key to loving is biblical. When we discipline our children biblically and lovingly, we put them in the best position to learn self-control, to learn obedience, to learn to care for others, to learn how to love others, to learn that we don't have ultimate authority to do whatever we want to do. The world does not revolve around us. That's what discipline can do. Another commentator said this, David was quick to seek God's direction for his battle plans, but when it came to parenting decisions, he sought no counsel from a wife or the prophets. He didn't ask anybody for help with his kids, although he brought in all the military commanders and the strategists. Uh, we're, gonna, we're going to battle with the Philistines. Let's get our heads together and figure out how to carry this out. He never asked for help with his kids. And you and I would be wise to look at the example of David, the good, the bad, and the ugly and apply these principles to our parenting. Let me point out to you a, 
a third thing this morning. That is, not just a TV father and not just David as a father, but now thirdly, our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father. We, we look at the TV dads and we recognize that they might be funny, they might be good looking, they might be on a popular show, but that's not the fathers that we want to emulate. We look at David and other men in the Bible and we might say these were great men and godly men and even in, in the case of David, a man after God's own heart, but he's not the father we need to emulate as, as somebody in the Scripture. But, but we can look at one. To look at all these other examples points us to our need to look at a perfect father, a heavenly father. That's exactly what we see with the Lord. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13, we call this the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus said to his followers, pray like this, and he goes into the Lord's Prayer. At the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, we see several qualities or descriptions of God as a Father. Our godly Father, who not only is, is, is our God, but He reveals Himself to us in the role of a Father. And while you and I may or may not have fathers on earth that we follow after and follow their example, we, we do have fathers in the Scripture that we can learn lessons from, but ultimately God has revealed Himself to us as Father, so that we might, as dads, guys, fa uh, uh, put base our fatherhood on the fatherhood of God and allow God to be our heavenly Father, our perfect Father, that helps us to overcome the mistakes that our fathers have made and the mistakes that we make. We point people, our brothers and sisters, our husbands and wives, we point our children, we point them to our heavenly Father. So let's look briefly at five descriptions of God as a father. We see at the very beginning of this prayer, verse 9, that God is father. Jesus said, pray like this, then our father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. When we look to God, when we pray to God, when we acknowledge God, we acknowledge this is what a father's like. And so when we, how, we say, how we see God interacting with humanity is how we as fathers are to interact with our children. And how is that? It is with love. It is with grace. It is with kindness. It is with holiness and encouragement. It is as a mentor and a friend. And when judgment comes, it is with a broken heart with the intent to mold and shape and call back to repentance and to right living. So we need to recognize that God is Father. Also notice in verse number 10, secondly, God is sovereign. He's sovereign. Jesus said, pray like this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God is all about you. You're in charge, and it is your will. Help us as your children to look to you as our heavenly father in the same way that heaven, earthly fathers, our children, need to look to us to guide them, to mold them, to direct them. And so we should look to God that way and encourage our children to look to us as the authority that we're in charge. Nothing can break a heart any quicker than being out in public and seeing somebody you don't even know and you just see their kids being disrespectful and not listening and undisciplined. And when spoken to, they just ignore it. Or, or, or tell, I, I've seen many kids, not mine, mind you, <laughs> tell their, their parents, shut up. You ever seen something like that? So, so, so we're mindful that just as God is sovereign and is in charge of us, we as fathers are to be in charge of our children and teach them to depend on us, but also to listen to us. Notice also God is provider. Verse 11, Jesus said, pray like this, give us today our daily bread. God is a God who meets needs. We are to be fathers who meet the needs of our children. It doesn't mean we're the, the, the open hand and the blank check and you just come get whatever you want. It doesn't mean that at all. It means teaching and molding and shaping our children, whether they are two or whether they're 20 or whether our kids are 50. However old they happen to be, we still are there to, to, to meet their needs. And meeting their needs doesn't always mean to give them what they want. Sometimes the want is for money. Sometimes the need is to learn how to manage your money. So we're there for our children. Reminded in... Matthew 6, Jesus said this, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So as we are providing for the needs of our children, we're reminded that the greatest need is to seek the kingdom of God, seek His purpose, seek His will, seek His presence. So if we're doing that, then physical needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs, relational needs, financial needs, all these things, they will be taken care of as, as we're careful fathers to give our children what they need in that moment to help them to seek after God with all their heart. Notice, fourthly, that God is graceful. 
Oh, aren't you thankful for his grace? Oh, we have blown it so many times. I have blown it so many times. You have blown it so many times. We all have. Verse number 12. And forgive us our debts. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us for those times that we have blown it and the whole world knows it. Those times we've blown it and it's just been in our heart. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Notice the importance of grace both in receiving the forgiveness of our Heavenly Father and in giving forgiveness to those who have come against us. We receive God's forgiveness when we trust Jesus as our Savior. Forgive us the debts, O God, we have towards you. Forgive us of the sins that we have towards you. Remind us, O God, that Jesus died in our place and for our sins so that our sins, so that my sins could be forgiven. Jesus died for me so that I could be made right with God, so that I could be forgiven. And because I've been forgiven, guess what I can now be? I can be forgiving. Because I've been, I will never be called upon to forgive any person more than God has forgiven me. So because I will never forgive more than God has forgiven me, I should forgive everybody and anyone, anything. It doesn't mean that you let them off the hook. It doesn't mean you set yourself up to be taken advantage of again. No, but what it does mean is that in our spirits, we release it. We let it go. We offer forgiveness. I'm reminded of one of my favorite Bible verses, Ephesians 4.32, which tells us as Christians, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving. The basis of our relationship with God, the basis of our relationship with our kids. If we're not forgiving towards our kids, we're going to drive a wedge and we're going to make them bitter and make them angry and make them rebellious, and they will do something to get our attention. It might be the rape of, a, of another person. It might be the, the claiming of the title of the leader of the family or the king of the land. It might be any number of different things, but they're going to do something. Grace is so important. Then fifthly, God is our God. He's a God. Jesus said, pray like this, verse 13, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Two parts of being a God. One is what you're leading towards and what you're leading away from. Lead towards the destination that you're aiming for. Lead away from all the troubles. Stay on the path. Get you there. I've been out in the woods with people sometimes, and I have no clue where I'm at, and they're just walking right away. Watch out for this. Watch out for that. Watch out for this. Okay, let me stay close, because I don't want to get lost, and I don't want to get hurt. And if we will follow our Heavenly Father as our God, we won't get lost and we won't get hurt. That's what He promises. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then verse 6, In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Solomon, the son born to David later in life, with whom David gave wisdom and instruction, Solomon wrote in Proverbs 22 and verse 6, Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he won't depart from it. Lay that groundwork and train your child. Not with harshness, overly harsh, so that you squash them. Not with, not with laxity that leads them to think they can do whatever they want. But train them according to God's word and God's will. Let me encourage you this morning not to let TV dads raise your kids. Can I do that this morning? Also, don't neglect your own role as a father. Follow God and follow His example. We see examples in the Scripture that are there for, to give us an example and an instruction to learn from to not make the same mistakes. Let me make this important point here, and that is to, if you and I are going to have a Heavenly Father, it requires that we be adopted. If we're not adopted into the family of God, we're not related to God. He is not our Heavenly Father. In Romans 8.15 it says this, You have received the spirit of adoption as sons and as daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, in our spirit. We have received the adoption into the family of God. The, the price was paid. The debt was paid. The forgiveness was extended. The invitation was given. And we come into the family of God and are adopted in when we say yes to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God becomes our Heavenly Father. How does that happen? Well, Romans chapter 10 tells us how that happens. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans chapter 10 and verse 13 says, Whosoever, I'm a lot of things, a lot of things I'm not, but I am a whosoever. That means anybody. I'm anybody. You're anybody. Any, everybody's anybody, right? Anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't matter how old, how young, how, how, what your race is, what your income is, what your nationality is, what, what language you speak, what, what, what money you earn. It doesn't matter any of those things. Anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't matter how good of a father you've been or how bad of a father you've been. It doesn't matter. Anybody who will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So when we think about that this morning, I want to challenge you to make sure dads and moms and everybody here make sure that you're rightly related to God through faith in Jesus Christ because you've called out to him and been adopted into his family well when we think about fathers as fathers let me tell you a couple things we must commit our ways to the Lord we must commit our ways to the Lord dads if we don't then we're off base and we're going to blow it as children we must have grace towards our fathers they have all blown it, me included. And dads, as we have grace to our children, commit our ways to the Lord, and as our children have grace to us and are forgiving towards us, guess what can happen? We can produce awesome children. And let me tell you this, dads. It's never too late to go back and make things right with your children. I've talked to multiple dads over the years that have said to me, I messed up here, I messed up there, I messed up here. And to have the privilege to say to those dads, listen, to go back to your children and to make things right and own up to what you've done and tell them that you're sorry and ask for their forgiveness, you would be amazed at the difference that can make in a relationship that has been strained and bitter and broken for years. I've seen it happen. Wherever you are, it's never too late to go back and make things right with a dad if he's still alive, with a child if it's, if it's all possible to talk to him. It's never too late. And likewise, it's never too late to make things right with our Heavenly Father. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray, and after I pray, we're going to sing a song as we always do, and that song is the hymn of invitation. I don't want us to, to, to get into a situation where, where we think that's just, that's just a formality. We're just mouthing some words before we leave. Let this be an opportunity for you. Do business with God as a father, as a child, as a mother, as a person. Do business with God as we sing this song together. And just before we sing, I want to pray for us. And as we sing, I'll be available here at the front. I'd be glad to pray with you, encourage you in any way possible. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for many examples in the Scripture of how we should do things and how we should not do things. And I pray, my Heavenly Father, in looking at the example of David and applying it to our own lives and in looking at the example of our Heavenly Father, may we be determined now and more than ever to follow after you, to extend and receive forgiveness, to be rightly related to you by being adopted into your family, by making things right and bringing healing to hurts that are perhaps old and are driving families apart even to this day. Lord, I pray that you'd have your mercy and that we would be determined to exercise a faith in the real world in which we live that would honor and glorify you in all that we say and do. So we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.